0: I want to invite you to join with me in Philippians chapter 1. We've been making our way through the book of Philippians, and tonight what an appropriate song for our message that, as we look at uh, just learning to trust in the sovereign plan of God in our life. Philippians 1, we find Paul in a uh, Roman jail. We find him writing to the church in Philippi uh, with uh, great love in his life, but also great joy in his heart. Aren't you thankful that even, you know, despite the circumstances that we can experience joy? You know, and that doesn't mean that we're always going to have uh, happiness because happiness comes and goes, but joy is something that is abiding, and it lasts because of what God has done in our life. And despite the circumstances and despite how difficult things may, may be, we can always trust the Lord. And Philippians chapter one, as we look here together, I, we see that there he begins to, just to share a few things with us from Philippians one, and and we're going to read in verses twelve through eighteen in just a, a moment. But you know, life has problems, doesn't it? You know, and, and if truth be told, each of us have experienced problems in our life. You know, whether two thousand nineteen was a, a year of difficulties or whether it was a year of surplus for you. You know, I think the one of the reasons. Uh, problems don't get solved is because we often misunderstand what's going on in uh, the General Motors company there was many years ago there was a person who had bought a Pontiac brand new Pontiac and boy he uh, loved the car but he's later sent a, a letter to the the head of the Pontiac division of General Motors and he said this is the second time I've written you and I don't blame you for not answering me because what I have to say sounds crazy But it is a fact that we have a tradition in our family of ice cream for dessert after dinner each night. But the kind of ice cream varies. So every night after we've eaten, the whole family votes on which kind of ice cream we should have, and I drive down to the store to get it. It's also a fact that I recently purchased a new Pontiac, and since then my trips to the store have created a problem. You see, every time I buy vanilla ice cream, when I start back from the store, my car won't start. If I get any other kind of ice cream, the car starts fine. So I want you to know, I'm serious about this question no matter how silly it sounds. What is there about Pontiac that make, makes it not start when I get vanilla ice cream? And easy to start when I, whenever I get any other kind. So, obviously, the Pontiac president was skeptical about the letter, but since he'd sent twice, he went ahead and sent an engineer to go check it out. And this engineer connected with the man, and he said, Listen, we're going to find a solution to this. And so he scheduled to come, and he showed up on the doorstep right after dinner, and he said, Are you ready to go get ice cream? He said, Yep, sure I, I sure am. And he said, well, What's the flavor tonight? He said, it's, I- it's vanilla. So they went down to the store, and they got vanilla ice cream. They got back to the car, and mar- 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 sure enough, no, no start. It just didn't crank. Well, the engineer is scratching his head and he's he's thinking about it and he says this doesn't make sense. He said I'll tell you what I'll come back tomorrow night we'll see what happens. And so the next night he comes back and and he comes to the house and he says, "All right, so what kind of ice cream did y'all select tonight?" He says, "Oh, we're going to get strawberry tonight." And so sure enough, they drove to the store and got the strawberry ice cream, came out to the car, and the car started right up. And so the engineer was really he he didn't have a clue what was going on at this point. And so he just he said, "Oh, I'm just going to stay with you until we figure this out. And they, he started taking notes. The time they left the house, the time they arrived at the store, make sure that everything was consistent, find the variables and everything that's going on in this situation. And he comes down to the fact, and he says, after about five or six nights of this, and one night they'd get vanilla, and one night they'd get strawberry, and one night it was chocolate, and then vanilla again, and back and forth. And finally he comes down to the end, he says, I think I've got it figured out. He says, the store sells the vanilla ice cream close to the front, and that's the problem. And you're thinking, what in the world does it have to do with anything? Well, in today's cars, it wouldn't matter. But when it's a carbureted car, they'll get vapor lock. And he said, they've put the vanilla ice cream right on the front of the, the aisle. So you go in, you get it, you get out, and you're in, in and out real fast. But you've got to search for the specific kind that you're looking for. If it's strawberry or chocolate, it's harder to find, So It takes you more time in store. And it releases the vapor lock. He says, I guarantee that that's what it is. He said, he said, let's see if we can do a couple of things and we'll get your car on the road. And sure enough, they got that problem fixed and they were on the road again. Can you imagine? Imagine being that guy who receives a letter and says, your car won't start after I buy vanilla ice cream. I, I'm sorry, I think I would think the guy was a kook. And obviously he thought himself a kook. But let me say, there's problems in life and sometimes we don't always understand them. And sometimes we, we, we just need some, someone else. And I'm thankful that even in Paul's life that he trusted the, the plan of God in everything that happened and throughout everything because Paul was facing some problems in his life. He wrote this letter from jail. One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was to comfort the Philippian church about his situation and where he was. Do you ever wonder why bad things happen to good people? I want to remind you of Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 45. It says, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And we think about all uh, and I just want to back up and say, "Who is good? Think about that with me. There is none righteous, no not one. And r- really we could say that we could argue that there's none good. So anything good that we receive is just a mercy from God. And sometimes we don't always understand that God has a plan in place, but we know that we can trust Him. Romans chapter eight and verse number 28 has been just a source of, of strength and encouragement for Christians throughout the years. And it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Listen, we know that God has our best intent at heart. And so just as Paul faced problems, we're going to face problems in life. The reality is that in life, problems will come. Amen there are going to be problems that we sometimes we think we have figured out and sometimes we don't and no matter what it may be let me just remind you that we can trust the sovereign plan of God in our life when we come face to face with uncertainty of tomorrow we can rest assured because he is already there let's look at the scriptures together verses number 12 through 18 in Philippians 1 and let's read these together But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bounds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear." Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we thank you for the Word of God, and we thank you that you have a wonderful plan for our life and that we can trust you, and that, Lord, no matter what circumstances may be like in our life, I thank you that the basic truths of who you are remain unchanged. Lord, as Hebrews reminds us, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, Lord, just as you were in the days of Paul, so you are in our day today. And help us, Lord, tonight to uh, bring comfort uh, from the Scriptures, those that are going through great trials in their life and those who are experiencing problems, whether in their marriage or finances or just in general with relationships around them. God, I pray that you would bring a healing and and just a, a peace to their heart tonight, knowing that you are in control. We love you, dear Lord, and we just want to give you the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this tonight, I want to just point out three things about uh, Paul's life and see that the situation that he was in reveals his trust in the sovereignty of God and in the plan of God. And so we see, first off, the reality of persecution here in verses 12 through 14. These circumstances, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 21, they're related to us in Acts 21 verses number uh, 17. And so we're going to read some of that together. Uh, If you want to turn there with me in Acts 21. And we're going to see these these circumstances of all what's going on in his life, and we just want to be reminded of, of what he's in, encountering at this moment. And so look at uh, Acts 21 and verse number 17. "'And we were, we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went into, uh, in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared uh, particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry.' And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto Him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are, uh, are informed of Thee that Thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles for sake, to forsake Moses, saying that they uh, ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after th- the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that Thou art come." And so they begin to just warn Paul, this is kind of what's going on, this is the temperature of what's going on. And so Paul takes a vow and he's urged to, to just, to, uh, just to demonstrate to the, the Jews that were there that he still uh, supports and loves the law, but he believes in Jesus Christ. And so, and, and, and so in that, he then goes on to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, uh, he goes to the temple, and in the temple, he's accused of bringing a Gentile into the, the, the temple. And so we see here that this kind of kicks off the chain of events uh, in Paul's life that brought some great uh, times of persecution for him. He was falsely accused of desecrating the temple. And then as a result, they roused the city. They brought him into custody and he was illegally arrested. And the guards even thought he was a man they were seeking who was from Egypt. And so the military commander uh, learned of a plot to kill Paul, and, and so they sent him to, to Caesarea for an audience with the governor Felix, and we see this later in, in Acts, and then uh, we see later that the Jews requested request they be sent back to him so they could kill him. And so all of this was going on, but finally, after a couple of years of being in custody without being tried and without being heard, Paul appealed his case to Caesar. And he wanted to have an audience with Caesar. He just really wanted to have an opportunity to be heard. He was taken prisoner to Rome. And on their, on their voyage, the ship was tossed for 14 days by a storm and then wrecked on an island where he was bidden by a snake and performed many miracles. And, and Paul finally reached Rome. He was imprisoned for another two years. Most Bible scholars agree that his imprisonment was uh, like a house arrest. He was chained to guards 24 hours a day. and uh, Generally speaking, the guards would change about every six hours or so. You see, he knew what it was like to go through some times of persecution. And, and let's talk about the perception of persecution. Because when we say when we think about persecution today, we often think of it in the negative con- uh, context. But God throughout time has used persecution in life to to bring about good things. And we see that the church in Acts flourished under persecution. The phrase here, and if we go back to our text in Philippians, we'll see that the phrase here in in uh, Philippians chapter number uh, 1 and uh, verse number 12, But it would that you should understand, brethren... The word understand is, uh, is means to get a knowledge of or perceive. He wanted them to have an understanding of what all is going on. And so the Philippians were distressed at the news of Paul's imprisonment, and so he desired that they really understand uh, what, what God was doing in his life and that they could trust that even though he was experiencing persecution, that they could trust that God was at work in his perfect plan. You know, l- let me just say that sometimes what looks bad from human perception is often part of God's bigger plan uh, that we will have, that sometimes we won't have a full understanding of until we get to heaven. Yeah, we, we don't see it all. You know, but, but we can trust God. And let me just remind you of 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come... "...who both will bring it to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God." And we're reminded that even in that day when we stand before the Lord, we're, we're going to be reminded of all of these things, and some of those hidden things will be brought to the light, and those things that we, we have a hard time understanding today, we can trust that He'll reveal to him then reveal to us then. And so even when you can't understand, we can trust. We see, though, that God progressed the gospel through persecution. In in the second part of verse number 12, he says, "...the things things which happened unto me that have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel." He knew that through all of this, Paul was writing the Philippian church so that they knew the gospel was not hindered. In fact, it had really taken off. Uh, The word furtherance means to advance, to progress, to move forward. And this was a military term that was used to describe the work of military engineers who traveled ahead of an advancing army. These engineers removed the trees, rocks, and other obstacles that were in the road, and they allowed for the forward progress of those behind. And Paul was saying, although they were concerned that he had been through these difficulty, when in reality what was happening was God was using him as the forward advance so the gospel could go forward. What a glorious thing, because the gospel advanced advances You know, I'm thankful for those that have laid the groundwork in in our community. For many years, there have been Christians in our community. But we can't sit on our laurels and say, well, uh, every door's been knocked in Springfield. You know, we still have doors to knock, amen? We still have hearts that need to hear the gospel. We still have people that need to be saved. And so we've got to be thankful for those things in the past but continue to build upon those in the future and still have a vision for for seeing souls saved in the 2020 as we did in previous years and still have a heartbeat to make sure that the world hears the gospel. God had already used trials in Paul's life. Uh, This is not the first time Paul had gone through things. The Philippians, even when Paul was there the first time, the Philippians remember that Paul was locked up then. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter number 16 were locked up in jail in Philippi. And and through that ordeal, God used that to uh, see the Philippian jailer and all of his family saved through that situation. I see God uses difficulties. And we just sometimes, we don't always see it. We don't always recognize how God is working. But listen, even because of Paul's current imprisonment, God spread the gospel through Paul into places that may not have gone otherwise. For example, in Philippians 1.13, he says this, "...so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places." Notice he said the word manifest uh, means to, to plainly be recognized or known, and so God was al- allowed him to be able to share the gospel in places he wouldn't have otherwise. Philippians 4, it says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of whose household? Caesar's household. Notice that the gospel had penetrated even into Caesar's own household. It, it, it probably would have never gotten there had Paul not been imprisoned. What we see sometimes as a terrible travesty, God uses in a glorious way. You see, these saints in Caesar's household may have been blinded forever, but because of Paul's imprisonment, they were, they, they were a direct result of that, uh, that, his place there. Remember, he stood before the Jews. He stood before others. His imprisonment, while his imprisonment was in question, he would, uh, was allowed to be able to share uh, the explanation of why he was in prison, and eventually he was able to share why he was in, uh, in, why, uh, what the gospel of Christ was. He bore witness to Felix Festus and then uh, the Malta's chief official uh, Publius and then uh, Jewish leaders in Rome and other prominent soldiers. We see even soldiers from Caesar's uh, personal guards were there and they heard everything that Paul said and many of them were converted. What a glorious thing that when we go through trial that we can give glory to God by seeing people saved. There is no way they could escape Paul's personal witness. I mean, can you... Can you imagine being around the Apostle Paul today? I would love to spend a day walking through Springfield with Paul. Wouldn't that be encouraging? I I think I would feel like an ant compared to the Apostle Paul as he witnessed and witnessed and witnessed and proclaimed and and shared the gospel of Christ. Acts chapter 28 and verse number 30, this is just a little bit of what he did. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. And received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Listen, for two years he preached. He might have been imprisoned. He might have had limitations, but he still preached the gospel. And listen, there will always be limitations in life. Amen? But listen, we can let our limitations limit us or we can limit those limitations and let God get the glory. And so let's let God get the glory. Think about John Bunyan. John Bunyan, the Church of England attempted to silence his voice forever and they placed him in a prison because he was preaching without a license and yet during his imprisonment he wrote the book The Pilgrim's Progress and it is still one of the most uh, wonderful allegories ever written. It is a wonderful book. Satan has been trying for 6,000 years to silence the voice of God. But let me tell you something, he can't. Let me tell you, he's not all powerful. Only God is. And there is no one that has victory over God. And so we see that, that, that God truly gets the victory when the gospel advances. And, and Paul advanced the gospel, but also others in the church were advancing the gospel. In verse 14, he goes on and he says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bounds, bonds, excuse me, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen, Paul's influence, uh, influence just by just being there, being in prison, being, being willing to proclaim, he influenced others to spread the gospel. When you and I share the gospel of Christ about or we're able to share testimony of, of what God has done through our witness, man, it encourages others to do the same. Whenever we're faithful and sharing the gospel and someone else sees us, man, it's, an, it's encouraging, isn't it? You ever been in a place and you had someone witness to you? You ever been witnessed to? I hope everybody in this room has. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for those moments where I get witness to and, and it's a joy to be able to say thank you for what you're doing and, and I pray that you will continue to be blessed when they're truly preaching the gospel and, and I just want to encourage them because they're an encouragement to me by what they're doing. One person who takes a stand for the Lord when it, remain, when it would seem easier to remain silent usually stirs other Christians to action. Let me just encourage you, don't be quiet. I like what what I read today. We need to remember this, the fruits of our proclaiming the gospel are not only in the winning of persons to Christ, but the encouragement we give others to be bold in their Christian living and witnessing. That's the fruits. Man, let us be continually willing to share the gospel. The world was truly saddened when we heard of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. They were murdered by the Aka Indians in South America, but as a result of hearing that story, hundreds of people were motivated to surrender their lives to foreign missions. What we see is a travesty, what we see is a difficulty God can use in a miraculous way. So let's talk about the reality of problems because Paul's uh, presence in Rome, his imprisonment, his proclamation of the gospel affected Christians in various ways. The members of the church uh, might have taken his imprisonment as a signal to, to, uh, that they stay quiet, but I think for the majority of them, they were, they were eager to share the gospel more. This may have uh, been some that were afraid, but many more were gained courage. They gained confidence, and they began to proclaim the gospel. And so some spread the gospel in a way that pleased God. These were preaching from a heart of sincere and uh, sincerity, hearts that were full of love. And he talks about this in verse number 15. Unfortunately, though, some were preaching full of strife, out of envy, and they were using Paul's imprisonment for personal gain. Let's talk about the problem of motives very quickly. Verse number 15 he says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Paul was speaking of the blessings of the persecution he endured. It was empowering others to do the gospel, but there were some negative consequences as well. Sometimes we see people do things that concern us, but these men preached the gospel. He wasn't looking to hinder it, but he wanted to encourage them to preach out of pure motives. The word envy is translated uh, meaning ill will or spite. And so literally envy results in working against someone or something. The root of envy is covetousness. That's the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. The word strife means contention, strife or even wrangling. These were men who were moved by the envy of Paul and preached not from a heart of compassion for lost souls but because they desired to compete with Paul. Listen, I'm not in competition with anybody. I, I, I want to work together to see the, the world won for Jesus Christ. It's not about one man and, and being, receiving the glory. It's about Jesus Christ receiving the glory. You know, it's about us as a church coming together and saying, listen, it's not my ministry, it's not her ministry, it's not his ministry. It's about the ministry that Jesus Christ gives us. It's about the ministry of the Lord and lifting Him up and letting our, our world see the glories of God. And so when there's, when there's strife and there's infighting, I tell you, that doesn't glorify God, does it? God can still use the gospel that was preached. But it doesn't bring glory to God. This is the wrong motive to preach the gospel. And I'm thankful that God didn't say, listen, it's Pastor Tolbert against Pastor Bingham. It's never been that. Let me just say, I'm thankful that you've never made it that, and I've never made it that. And I'm thankful that we can, as a church, be able to say, listen, it's, we're going to work together for the cause of Christ. This is our desire. There may be preachers, there may be teachers or others in the church that are working out of a covetous heart, but let let you and your ministry be willing to say, listen, I want to serve God out of a pure heart that has pure motives, that has a good will toward, toward the Lord and toward others. And so let me just encourage you there. And also let me see the pronouncement of motives here. As he, as he looks in verse number 16, he says, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. The, the word contention means literally electioneering or intriguing for office. It stems from a desire to put oneself forward and results in partisan, uh, partisanship. Man, if we got enough of that in the House and the Senate? Amen? I don't want none of that in the church. I, I'm not looking, you know, and I'm thankful we get to to choose to, uh, some men to serve as deacons next week and, and some of our officers uh, that uh, next week. And, and listen, no one is electioneering in this process. What we're looking to do is find God's will and seek His will regarding those needs in our church and move forward. And so let us let us just see that this is not about dividing, but it's about uniting behind a common cause and a common purpose. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let me give an example of someone in Scripture who wanted the dominance and the preeminence in the congregation. 3 John chapter 9 and verse number 10. 3 John 9, 10. John writes about Diotrephes. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them Received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Listen, he had an agenda, didn't he? He says, listen, I, I want to promote myself. When a Christian is falsely accused by other believers, it's one of the worst discouragements that he can have. Especially when the criticism comes from trusted friends in his own church. The saddest part of the ministry is the persecution that a servant will, will receive from another servant of God. Listen, let us be unified here. Let us choose to encourage. Let us choose to sharpen one another. Let us, let us be as a church that says, listen, I don't want to tear down, but I want to build up. I don't, I'm not looking to, uh, to emphasize myself. I don't want to be a diatrophies. I want to instead lift up the Lord. Listen, we can be discouraged, a pastor can be discouraged by another pastor, or a missionary by a pastor who opposes him, or vice versa. Listen, it's grievous because it's done out of envy and strife. And so he contrasts this with verse 17. But the other of love. Talking about those who preached of goodwill. He says, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And so we can relieve the affliction that others are feeling by love. Christ proclaimed that the world would know that we are truly His disciples according to the love we have for other believers. It's demonstrated by a willingness to forgive, Ephesians 4.32. A willingness to support when others are weak, Galatians chapter 6, and verse number 2. And a Christ-like spirit. And look at this one in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, Paul was motivated by the love that Christ had for him as a sinner, that, that by Christ's love, he willingly died for him and for us. That's a pure motivation. Let us love one another like Christ loves us. Let us be willing to be motivated by motivated by what Christ has done, for the love of Christ constraineth us. But we also see that there was a defense here in this verse. They've they defended them. And so Paul defended the gospel and he presented it wherever he could. Anytime he was out and, and just and just, just in the anywhere he was, he took the opportunity to share the gospel. Remember, the salvation and the gospel. It contains the power of God. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Listen, Paul reminds us that when we go out and we're sharing the gospel, we're in sharing the power of God for someone to be saved. Peter encourages us always to be ready to share the gospel. Remember, God has sent us to, out to share the gospel. This is our calling. This is what we're here for. Jesus Christ said, For I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. And He left us with the same commission in our own life in, in Matthew chapter 28. And so 1 Peter says this in verses chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, uh, that in, is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, even as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You see, God wants us to be willing. God wants us to be ready to share the gospel. This is something good that happened through the persecution. According to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, a dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet is composed of no less than one glass of water. That amount of water is divided into about 60 billion tiny droplets in the air. Yet when those little minute particles settle over a city or countryside, they can almost blot out everything from your sight. You ever been in a bad fog? And you can barely see the nose of your car as you're driving? You get really close to Jesus in that moment. (laughs) Say, Dear Jesus, don't let no one stop in front of me and let no cow be in the road. You know, today, though, many Christians live in their lives in a fog. They allow a couple of troubles to cloud their vision. They allow those things to dampen their spirit. Anxiety, turmoil, even defeat, strangle their thoughts. Their lives are literally being choked by the cares of the world. But let me remind you, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's the spirit God has given you. And so when it seems as if the troubles and the problems want to cloud your witness and they want to drown out the hope that lies within you, let us, not, uh, let us cast down the fog and let's live in the sunshine of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul chose to do as we look at the last couple of verses here because we see the rejoicing of patience. If we're honest, one of the hardest lessons from God is that of patience. Patience. How many of you are so excited about to learn your next lesson in patience? I didn't think so. We want patience, don't we? Say under under our breath. We'll say, "God, give me patience to deal with this child." We don't. We dare not say it out loud for a fear that He might test us with it. Amen. And we want. And I appreciate Brother James and I were teasing a little bit while handshaking. He said he was certified to be able to be a personal trainer. And I said, well, let me get close to you and then you can just rub off that on me and I can just look like you. He says, it doesn't work like that. It takes patience. I said, no, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. You know, we don't want, we want patience and we want it now, don't we? <laughs> you know, we don't want to have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't want to have to wait on it. We just want it. You know, I'm thankful that God teaches us patience when he brings problems. And even in these circumstances that Paul was facing, we see him rejoicing in the patience that God was teaching him. Let's look in verse number 18. It says, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know, the important thing to Paul was that Christ be preached no matter whether it was done in pretense or in true motives. It's tragic that at times Christ is is preached in envy and strife. It's tragic when we see men stand up and try to elevate themselves. It's tragic when those things happen. But let me me just remind you that God can use those situations even then. And and as we look at this, we see that, that their motives may have been wrong, but God's Word still goes out. So Paul rejoiced, and Paul rejoiced. He was, and I'm thankful that the word of God was. He was thankful that the word of God was being preached. And you know, personally, I'm thankful that the word of God is preached in our city. I'm thankful that the word of God is preached in our in our world. And and you know, not everyone that is preaching the gospel will be someone I can agree with. Not everyone that preaches the gospel and their doctrine and our our doctrine are not going to align. But I'm thankful that if the truth of salvation is being proclaimed that they are proclaiming it. You see, because the Word of God, in spite of its speaker, will not come back void when it is preached from an impure motive. Isaiah 55, 11 reminds you of this wonderful truth. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. You see, we thank God that Christ is being preached. That's the main thing. But even still, let me just say it's interesting, it's even comforting to know that Christ and, and God can be preached insincerely and yet people can still be saved. That's the power of God. There's no other way to explain it. You see, because God honors His Word. Not not the man or the organization. We need to recognize that today the Spirit of God is the only one that can bring blessings and He only blesses when the Word of God is given out. Let's continue to preach. Let's continue to proclaim. You know, if we were in Paul's shoes today, many of us would probably have complained that God had forgotten about us. Can I just say, if I was sitting in that jail cell, I'd probably be complaining and saying, Lord, you've forgotten me again. If I was uh, ex- experiencing the beatings that he experienced, if I'd have if I'd gone through the shipwreck, if I'd experienced the snake bite, and if I'd have gone through all the things that he'd gone through, probably I'd have complained the entire time and said, Lord, I, I think you've forgotten me. And probably cynicism would have overcome me. But Paul knew through all of these things that God was still in control. God knew that even though things were difficult, and God knew that even though things seemed, seemed so, uh, some, so uh, hard for him in that moment, that he knew that God still loved him and cared for him, and he was working out a perfect plan in his life. Chuck Swindoll stated this, Every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter uh, countless golden opportunities, brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. You know, suffering is a reality of life. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is a reality of serving the Lord. We may be tempted during these times to question uh, God's sovereignty, but when we wait on the Lord, He allows us to see the big picture. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Tonight, you may feel like Paul restricted and bound by the change in your life. But I want to remind you of the release that Christ offers when we give our life to Him. No matter what may come, when we truly learn to wait upon Him, the trials can become blessings, and the tragedies can be triumphs. This year, I hope and pray that as a church, we will choose to say, Lord, I'm going to trust the mighty hand of God. Commit thy way unto the Lord. That is our desire today.